Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to continue this positional preview series here, talking about the 2021 NFL Draft as we get a look at the quarterback class. We're also going to stop by Daniel Jeremiah's Mock Draft 3.0. All of that and more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins and we're going to break right into the 2021 NFL Draft quarterback class. No, we're not. You know why? Because we've got this guy. Spins the wrong way. Stays on his feet. Sneaks through. Tua down the middle and down to the 10. How did he find a hole there? A 17-yard run. Looking in zone. He's got a man. Gasicki. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about, you know, Tua in this upcoming season. You know, he started nine games. Uh, I thought he made a lot of improvement really throughout the course of the season. Uh, had some ups, had some downs. Um, you know, like all the rookies um, and like any rookie. Uh, I'm really excited about this, uh, this, this, you know, that year one, the year two jump, having a, 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 a being more comfortable even down here in South Florida. He's got a place. I mean, look, that rookie year, you got a lot going on. House, you got to get a car, you got to move to a whole new city. I mean, there's so many things that are going on. I thought he handled it well last year, but I'm really excited um, uh, about, uh, you know, this upcoming year, uh, especially, you know, again, we got to think that he had no OTAs, he, you know, had a different uh, training camp. Uh, so, look, you guys know me. I mean, I'm all about the development of players, you know, helping them develop and helping them uh, um, uh, get better. And I think, uh, you know, this, this time, um, or, you know, an off season um, is really going to be helpful to him um, and really all the rookies. And I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, you know, working with him this off season. Come on. How do you do this? 77 yards. I mean, it's one thing to have a play dialed up and throw it as you're backing to your left, but putting it right on the money. Jalen Waddle is playing for Devontae Smith. Watch him go across the field. He's not that wide open. He just delivers the ball right on him, right in stride. The guy was a rookie last year and came in and went six and three or whatever he did. The, the two things that really stick out to me about Tua is I think he has elite accuracy, and that's very important. And I think he's going to learn. You know, from last year, he's going to learn through this offseason. He's got some continuity with George Godsey and Eric Studsville as coordinators now. Uh, you know, where to go with the ball, how to eliminate things pre-snap uh, to really be able to unleash that elite accuracy. And then he throws with anticipation, and, and that's something that's difficult that you don't see a lot with quarterbacks coming from college to the NFL. So I'm a huge Tua fan. Uh, my kids love Tua. Sometimes they play with him on Madden. Sometimes they play with me. Uh, but 
I'm looking forward for big things for him. I, I think I think he's going to do great. And just in terms of being a leader on a team and a guy that people can follow, he has all those qualities. So I think we just need to have a little bit of patience. He was a rookie last year, and I think he's going to do great things. And so while I fancy myself a pretty knowledgeable analyst, I think it's important to utilize the resources that you have. And when it comes to Tua Tungavailoa, we have countless resources of people way smarter than I, people that have forgotten more football than you or I will ever know, saying how many special qualities this guy has. And we'll hear some more of those testimonials here at the end of the show too. But I wanted to rattle off some of my scouting points, break down some of the plays that I think demonstrated those special skills during his rookie season, talk about some areas of growth, and really get into the weeds on the numbers and the data. So first, why should you trust my word on quarterback play? For those that have been with me since the beginning of all of this, even before the Locked On Dolphins days, my first work that really gained some notoriety for me was the website that I developed from the ground up, Brick by Brick, if you're a listener of the Great Around the NFL podcast. And it all came from an idea that was really born back in 2012 or somewhere in that range. I always thought the way the general public critiqued and perceived quarterback play was operating with some incomplete information, just a fraction of what was really going on. 22 moving parts on any given play, it's a lot to process. So for years, I theorized a project that focused on how can we create a grading scale that accounts for those little details and generates a total score on an even plane for every single quarterback. At first, I had these thoughts about what if we took every single possible yard, touchdown, or completion on a very subjective perspective and graded quarterbacks based upon my perceive, my perception rather, of the statistics they left on the field. But that left for way too much gray area. However, it was the crux of the development of the website, which would become thirdand10.com, and it launched in the summer of 2017. And though that site is no longer on the old interwebs, I still point back to that as my breakthrough project. It's what got my name on the radar of David Locke, the owner of Locked On Podcast. And it got me some attention, some good, plenty bad, with fan bases around the league. Boy, Titans fans did not like me for the grades I gave Marcus Mariota. The Giants subreddit banned me for suggesting that maybe two-time world champion Eli Manning had seen his better days. And that's putting my comments pretty lightly, if we're talking honestly here. Above leading to a job that led to this job, all the tape I watched from that project really honed my ability, in my opinion, to evaluate the position. I broke down every play. I watched it from the sideline angle, considering the progression, the coverage, the immediacy or lack thereof by which the wide receiver uncovered, where the quarterback had his eyes and access to each throw. And I watched the end zone angle, looking at the protection, how he got away from pressure, how they managed off script. That factored into it big time too. Hitting layups counted as one point, making an exceptional throw or evading pressure to get a completion was usually two points, and doing a mixture of those two things and creating out of nothing was a three-point play with some shades of gray on all those explanations. The most I gave out on any one play was three points though, and the scale went negatively two all the way down to negative three, so six points possible with zero as well, so seven possible outcomes every single play. 
This allowed me to determine blame and responsibility for turnovers or missed opportunities. And I look back on the rankings of that project and it still holds pretty well true today. I had Tannehill and Stafford right around the top 10 range. I had Dak Prescott up there in that super rookie season that he had. I think he has maintained and sustained that ability since that time. I mentioned I was more bearish on Mariota and Manning, guys like Joe Flacco, and boy was I harsh on Jared Goff's rookie season. So all of that is to say that I feel pretty qualified doing this. I continued charting Dolphins quarterbacks after that when the Dolphins became my lane specifically, and the entire thing back in 2012 as well as the resurfacing of it in 2017 was really done in earnest to show people that Ryan Tannehill was much better than he got credit for. And well, I think that story speaks pretty well for itself. But what I learned most about quarterback play is fourfold, we'll call it. First, even though the position gets all the credit and all the blame, it's never a one-man deal. Never. The box score lies, the highlights lie. The only thing that gives you a true picture of what's going on is putting in the work and placing context to every single dropback, every single snap, every single play. And that's why I encourage you to check out Tuesday's podcast in season where we break down the entire game in lieu of firing off takes over one or two plays that made the highlight reel good or bad. Second, the feet. It all starts with the feet. I remember watching Jimmy Garoppolo at the Senior Bowl, what was that, 2014? And he would work through his reads and his feet moved with his eyes. That was a big revelation for me. Eyes hardwired to your feet. Because to play quarterback, you have to anticipate windows opening. You have to have your body react in unison with the speed at which your brain processes. So if you're reading front side of the coverage and it's covered up, when your eyes get to the back side, your feet, your alignment, and body position need to as well. So the moment you see it, you can let it rip. It sounds simple, but few quarterbacks can do it consistently with precision. Tua does it. More on that in a moment. Third, the multiple throws in the tool bag. Tannehill is always my reference point because I've seen that man throw more passes than anybody else on planet Earth. And I always praised him for his ability to drive those seam throws with the rip and the spin to get over the second level, but under the third level. Just picture Charles Clay streaking down the hash mark on the middle of the field and making big gainers. And wouldn't you know it, look at all the big plays Tannehill hits in Tennessee to A.J. Brown, Jonu Smith, Corey Davis on those similar routes. But where I always docked Tannehill was the touch. You'd see it on screens and wheels, basically anything to the running back. The ability to alter the motion of the arm, to alter the arm slot to an angle that can manipulate velocity, touch, and timing. Russell Wilson's a great example of this. He can throw with different trajectories from different platforms to work around defenders, create windows, and stick that thing in accurately. So can Tua. More on that in just one moment. And finally, and there are more, but these are the key components I look at, the relationship when it comes to the quarterback's processing and the timing of the play's evolution. So stay with me here on this comparison because I might lose some of you. This is probably a crazy thought, but I swear it's apt. I used to play a lot of FIFA with my brother. It's all through balls and anticipation passes to remain onside, but get in behind the defense with a run on goal. And to execute those passes, you had to be able to not only recognize your teammates' pattern, pace, and path, you had to account for the leverage of the defense. And that's playing quarterback. Anticipation, leverage, understanding of the coverage, where it's vulnerable, and how you design, your, or how the design of your concept, rather, can attack those vulnerabilities. So where does Tua fit into all that? Let's go in reverse order. The anticipation. 
I've been watching his rookie tape a lot and you see it all the time. We're going to play a clip here breaking down one of those throws against the Chiefs and how he was able to manipulate the defense out of its own principles to create a throwing lane. It's a third and 12, a corner route, sometimes called a sail, sometimes called a flag, sometimes called a seven. Every route has like 24 names. Tua sees the coverage play out post-snap. He does our number two trait with the body positioning and the feet alignment to move the defense out of his window, then shoots it in behind the vacated defender before he's even out of that hole. There's a throw from Tua against LSU back in 2018, that 24 to nothing shutout where he outran Patrick Queen to the end zone for a 40-something yard touchdown to put the game on ice. It's third down and five. It's a basic out against off coverage, a speed out where the receiver pushes up five yards and hits a 90 degree turn right in front of the defensive back towards the perimeter. Tua takes the snap and his knees and his hips, his shoulders, his foot positioning are squared down the pipe so the DB cannot drive on the quick out, the speed out route. With insanely quick feet, he's at the top of his drop. He's pivoted his mechanics to get into proper position and the football is out before the receiver has even begun to break down, sink his hips and get to that break. It's located on the outside shoulder, giving the receiver protection from the DB coming underneath for a possible play on the football. It's timing, it's rhythm, it's accuracy, it's countless repetition of playing the position, something we know Tua has done with his father pretty much every day since he could grip a football back in his hometown of Eva Beach, Hawaii. I remember texting friend of the podcast and writer podcaster for DolphinsTalk.com, Kevin Dern, about that one play and just gushing over how impressed I was, winning from the pocket expediting the process of the footwork to account for the bang-bang nature of the play, just so precise and nuanced, even on a little throw that seems routine to the casual observer. If you want some examples of this as a pro, there's a step-for-step replication of that in the Chargers game. Fourth quarter, 14-10 left to play, a 12-yard completion to Jakeem Grant, who reduces inside to give himself more room off the perimeter to run this route to the boundary. And just real quick, perimeter and boundary are different things. Boundary is the short side of the field, so just keep that in mind for future reference. Tua fakes on an RPO. He pulls it out and pops that thing to the sideline where Jakeem catches it, taps the toes, and moves the chains. It's an indefensible throw because the DB holds inside on the play fake and Tua's ability to quickly square to his target and throw accurately on time, you're just not going to defend that ball. Then there's the manipulation of the ball with spin, velocity, and touch, all that stuff. There's a great example against the Bengals where Tua breaks the pocket and ad-libs on a busted play. He finds Miles Gaskin for a big gainer down to the five-yard line, who's behind the Cincinnati defender with nobody over the top, but you still have to get it over that defender. If you want to practice this throw, go in your backyard, and assuming you have a six-foot-tall fence in your backyard, get a buddy, put him on the other side of the fence, but only five yards beyond the fence. Then you yourself go back into your own yard, 15 yards away from the fence. Now throw the football over the fence, but in a way that it descends right over the top of that fence and into your buddy's hands. That's what we're talking about here. You can't just throw the thing through the fence. You have to have touch to get it over it and then have it drop back down into the receiver's hands. And there are different throws and we've seen him make them. We saw him rip that first career touchdown pass to Devontae Parker with pristine accuracy and without even having his feet set because he's throwing into a pressure look. We've seen him drive those RPO pops over the middle to Gasicki, Lynn Bowden, to Parker again. We've seen him loft perfectly arcing deep balls down the field, more on the most accurate downfield thrower in college football history in just one moment. 
but he can make all those throws. So control of the football on all throws, the feet and the alignment to get himself into threatening position after ripping through his reads or against pressure, the anticipation of a 10-year veteran, and finally, the credit and blame discussion. When I was breaking down the Chiefs game this spring, maybe it was still winter, I don't remember, Tua was playing extremely well in that game, but even the stats didn't reflect that at one point. Because at one point, he was 9 for 14 with 82 yards and a touchdown pass going in once again inside the red zone. On the first drive of the game, perhaps my favorite play of Tua's entire rookie season, but it went incomplete on a drop. It's third and long. He gets pressure up the middle in his face, and there are two Chiefs defenders parked at the sticks, one in the middle of the field who has his back turned to Tua's eventual target, and the other is on the back of his eventual target. So a tight window. Tua reads that leverage and drills a shot 25 yards in between this tight window where he essentially replaces the the out-leverage defender with the football and you couldn't have handed it off any better. But the ball falls to the turf and comes out incomplete and here comes the punt team. Back to the red zone drive with that 7-0 lead in that Chiefs game. The pass in the corner to Parker that just goes off his hands and brings the field goal team out for three points. Parker gets on top of the defenders quickly and Tua lets that thing fly early. He sees them even he's leaving, throws the ball early and Parker does what he seemingly always does, goes up, high points it, but he just barely cannot bring that thing in. It's about 30 yards or so of production. It's two more completions. It's another touchdown pass. So 11 for 14 with 105 yards or so and two passing touchdowns. Context, man, stuff matters. So I want to break down a few more plays here and continue to provide that context. But first, my scouting report on Tua out of college reads as follows. Written back in 2019, mechanically, there are no flaws. Tunga Bailoa's ability to win from the pocket comes from a rare combination of high-level processing and accuracy. Those two traits, along with his light feet, which are hardwired to his eyes, makes him one of the most revered prospects to come out in the last decade. Tua is far from just a pocket passer. He's a dual threat that can test every level of the field, erase free rushers, and always puts his offense in the most advantageous positions. His processing and anticipation skills extend beyond reading coverage. He's especially adept at managing the pocket and flashing false targets for defenders to take the cheese. He can quickly bounce off of his spot and mitigate pressure by attacking the line of scrimmage while he continues to survey down the field. He throws with accuracy from a variety of platforms and across multiple route combinations. He dictated ideal situations with pre-snap recognition and post-snap manipulation. He manipulates defense with ball placement, eye, and body position manipulation. Like the mechanics, it's difficult to find flaws in his acumen, quick twitch, anticipatory abilities, and throws with rare accuracy and placement to all levels of the field. Back to his NFL game. I don't have to tell you guys about the Cardinals game. He was stellar in that one back in week nine, 34-31 Dolphins. The 94-yard drive to tie it up in the fourth quarter with the big-time throws and the scramble play. The big throw to Gasicki to set up the game-winning field goal in that game. That was his coming-out party. And I was so impressed with his tape against the Rams the week before that in his debut. Now, the offense was able to really squeeze the air out of the ball because of the defense and special teams in that first half. But even before all of that, Tua was identifying middle of the field, reading the safety's leverage and attacking his matchups based upon that leverage with deep shots to Gasicki and Preston Williams in one-on-one situations early in that game was a good process, even if the results weren't there. 
So skip past that Cardinals game, and much like I mentioned early against the Chiefs, he came out dazzling against the Chargers in Week 10. I watched the tape with a buddy, and early into the second quarter, with how the defense had played all season long, and the things that Tua was doing in that game, I told him, man, if we go back to this exact moment in time, we had to have been thinking Super Bowl because of the defense, because of the special teams, because of the way the team is coached, and because of how this kid is playing right now early in just his third NFL start. And after the Dolphins cashed in the punt block possession, it's second and eight on the following possession after a two-yard run by Savon Ahmed. Tua is under, under center, 13 personnel, which is one running back, three tight ends, and one receiver in the formation. He fakes the handoff and boots out to his left. It's a layers concept with Gasicki 20 yards downfield to the high layer, Parker 10 yards to the middle layer, and Savon Ahmed underneath about five yards upfield. Tua pumps to Ahmed in the flat, and draws the defender up one step, then uncorks a shot to Gasicki on the move right on target in place of that vacated defender for 23 yards and a first down. Absolutely beautiful. Two plays later, it's the exact same anticipation speed out to Grant that I mentioned earlier. An RPO pulled out of the mesh point, rip it to the outside, 13 yards, bing, bang, bong, easy money. Four plays later, he drills one under pressure to Grant on a dig before he starts his break. Completion, 15 yards, move the sticks, rinse, wash, repeat. He's just showing you the entire tool bag. He's moving the offense. He's putting points on the board. He's converting third and longs. It's just flat out impressive for a 22-year-old rookie in his third start to be doing this. And the knock I had on him was just to be more aggressive. But that's what Fitzpatrick talked about in that clip off the top of the show, how once he gets that continuity and repetition and experience, then he can start to really unleash that elite accuracy and anticipation. Kurt Warner showed this in his study ball segment on YouTube as well, but I think that's a totally fair expectation for a rookie, especially one playing with, at the time, the best defense in the NFL late last season. And it harkens back to the Drew Brees 20, I think it was 2019 season where he didn't have his usual gaudy Drew Brees numbers, but the Saints were just steamrolling teams because people or because they were just a loaded team. Then in the playoffs, the run game couldn't get going and the defense had fallen behind like 17 zip to the Vikings. And then Brees unleashes his all world ability when he had to. That's the goal here. Have a quarterback that can do all that, but also build a roster that can win in multiple ways. And last year, I think that as rookie, as a rookie, Tua played in a way that was trying to complement a winning game plan. And I thought he did a good job of that. How about some stats for you here? Prior to that, let's call it eh, the atrocity in week 17, Tua had a 65% completion rate against pressure. That's better than any completion percentage Peyton Manning had in his first four years as a pro on all throws, not just against pressure, every throw. Tua's bad throw percentage from Pro Football Focus was 18.3% at that point, the same rate as Patrick Mahomes in 2019 when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. In college, Tua was behind only Joe Burrow in catchable ball percentage at 80%. Speaking of college, from the Pro Football Focus 2020 NFL Draft Guide, he completed 19 of 39 passes beyond 20 yards that year, right around 50% on deep passing. And that's just caught balls, not including drops like the dime he threw 50 yards down the field against LSU that was dropped on the goal line. He led the nation in deep passing accuracy via PFF. He had the seventh best adjusted completion percentage in college football and the third fewest turnover worthy plays with six. Do you understand what that means? He's both efficient and explosive. And that's rare and extremely difficult to do. Look at the most 
most of the volume leaders in the NFL and the history of the league, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, now they threw their their fair share of interceptions. It's Russell Wilson-like in his ability to attack deep, but also play turnover-free football. Now, in college, his final year, he averaged 13.3 yards per pass there at Alabama with an interception rate of 1.2%. For comparison's sake, Jacoby Brissett's career interception rate at 1.3 is the lowest all-time in the NFL with at least 900 passing attempts. Now, college and pros are obviously way different, but I think you get the idea. 11.3 yards per pass and a 1.2 interception rate. Finally, while we're talking college, yeah, Alabama was loaded, but what's new? He had a stable of receivers featuring the first or two first round picks rather in 2020 and very likely two more here in 2021. And I'm not arguing a general thought here, just a thought that I've seen and wanted to make a point uh, for the sake of the podcast and for the sake of discussion. Since when is it, you know, against the rules to build the team around your quarterback? Like, why is it viewed as detrimental to Tua's long term prognosis to build an offense around the strengths of your young quarterback? I'll never get that. What does every quarterback that is elite in this league have? Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. They signed Sammy Watkins. They drafted McCole Hardman. Demarcus Robinson's there. They drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round last year. The Green Bay Packers, for my money, have the best receiver in the NFL, Devontae Adams. Also spent most of his career, Rodgers did, with Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Greg Jennings. The Buffalo Bills rebuilt the whole damn thing the year before Josh Allen arrives. Once he gets there, they add John Brown, Cole Beasley, and cap it off in 2020 with the leader in the NFL receiving Stephon Diggs. Seahawks have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. The Texans had, now Will Fuller is ours now, but he was a first round pick with them back when they already had DeAndre Hopkins in the fold. Now that predated the Deshaun Watson arrival there in Houston, but look at how explosive that offense was that they had around that young quarterback. Look at Brady with the Pats and then the Buccaneers. Do I need to keep going here? Expediting the development and making the quarterback's job easier with more weapons isn't some indictment on the quarterback. It's just smart business. Invest in your investment. And the same way I told you earlier in the podcast that Tua's ability to identify matchups and go to work from empty packages on offense is a strength, putting matchup nightmares in these positions is a tried and true path to offensive success. So that's my case. I'm such a believer in everything this young man offers at the position. I've been a fan of his game ever since that national title game way back in 2017. I guess it was January 2018. The poise to excel in that position, the fourth quarter winning performances we saw in that game, but also this year when the team needed it against Arizona, the Chargers, the Bengals, the Patriots. I go back and watch his tape and see more of the same that made me a fan in college and now a fan here at the Miami Dolphins. And now... Now that he's looking positively jacked because he can actually lift weights and run around and throw passes this time of year, opposed to rehabbing last year with Will Fuller and presumptively more reinforcements at the skill spots coming, I haven't been this excited about a Dolphins quarterback in a long, long time. And if you won't take my word for it, how about some experts? Watch Tua here. Great eyes right, eyes left, slide, move. See that anticipation, Jim? It's really special when you watch it. He... He looks people off. He does a great job of getting through the progression. Well, you'll see it's a zone coverage. They try and confuse Tua, but with great anticipation, what we talk about, he's able to get there and get up on the ball. You'll see Gasecki. We'll come back to that because they're going to call a play at the line of scrimmage here, but you'll see him go up. It's cover two. Can't throw it in that hole. Great instincts. Great throw. Because I can show you what he can do, what Fitz references with accuracy anticipation. He's got a sail and a flat route. This is a high-low. 
Now there's subtlety into his game that is so special here. As those two receivers, one goes to the flat, one pushes vertical, you've got a drop down safety in the middle and then a flat defender on that 40 yard line. You gotta have vision on them to go, okay, can I get that flat defender to drive down with my feet and my body alignment, but also only take one hitch because the ball has to come out on time. But can I also do that by placing it in between a flat defender, trailing safety, and before that corner falls off? That's what Fitzy is referencing when he's talking about elite accuracy and anticipation. That subtlety that he has of, I'm going to hitch that way and align my body to the flat, but then get the ball out on time to the opening that I, I opened up with my body alignment. Look at his career. Look, look at everything he's ever done. Don't forget, we're just a few years removed from Tank with Tua. Then look at who the Miami Dolphins were last year. I think it's one of the biggest criminal narratives that's happened in the last few years around quarterbacks is that Tua didn't play well. Tua played very well considering what he had. He's coming off massive injuries. He has no OTAs, no offseason, very complex system. Like this kid's gone through a lot and he still played pretty efficient ball with what they asked him to do. I, I think with the addition of Charlie Fry as a quarterback coach, who me and you will both know as one of the great coaches, mm -hmm. young coaches in all football, uh, has a relationship with Tua. Uh, I think with what they've redone with their offensive staff and all these picks, you give this guy talent around him, you give him a system, system where you can unleash him. I really don't care about year one. And here's the short-sightedness of the NFL narratives. Who cares about year one? None of them won any games anyways. Who can take him to a Super Bowl? And I believe with what Miami has from an ammunition standpoint, from draft capital to the leadership of Flores and the rest of that building uh, to a process in place with good coaches to bring out the best in Tua, let's have this conversation in three years and see which one's the best in three years. So CBS, ESPN, NFL Network, all these expert analysis breaking down Tua's game with high praise. And just a quick correction there. Dilfer's referring to the general idea back in 2018 of Tank for Tua that became a, a countrywide phenomenon after his phenomenal performances early on there at Alabama. And I'll throw in one more coveted skill set here, something I had a chance to ask Tua about last year on draft night, the recall. And on draft night, I asked Tua about a pair of plays, one from 2019, one from 2017, the game in 2019 against LSU where he got a LSU cornerback sleeping on a dummy snap count. And then, of course, the big throw in the national championship game. We start with that throw. Can you walk us through what you saw on that play? Uh, well, we're in three by one set. So we had four verticals. You know, really, I could have worked two, two guys. I could have worked the bender. Uh, which was the middle of three, and then I I, I could have looked the safety off and and came backside and you know, I, I decided to look the safety off, kind of held the safety inside on number three coming over and went back out. Safety kind of was misaligned, and we were we were lucky that the corner corner gave our receiver a free release, and so that's that's why it was it was so wide open. And then you come back this year in the big game against LSU and you catch the LSU defense sleeping with a quick count on the uh, another touchdown pass to teammate again, uh, Devontae Smith, once more. What happened on that play? Because I saw that play live and I was like, how did they get him like that? Yeah, so it, it was it was a snap count. I, I took a step up. The step up was really the, the biggest thing. We, we, wanted, we wanted to make that play look as if we were actually looking to the sideline for play, but... It was a dummy. It was a dummy clap, dummy kind of signal going into to that. And I mean, we 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 knew a play we we wanted already. 
So once we got those guys to look to their sideline and snap the ball, they were misaligned and I try to hold um, their middle of the field safety, you know, in the middle of the field for as long as I could before going back outside to Devontae Smith for the touchdown. So that's my case. That's my hype pod, as it were. That's just my, you know, telling the truth, telling you how I see it with regards to the Miami Dolphins quarterback. Let's go ahead and finish this up here and talk about the draft class coming up because I don't want to be, I don't want to cast it off all the way because I think a couple of these guys might wind up in our division, might wind up in the AFC. You might see them down the line as opponents. And we start here with the bell of the ball, Trevor Lawrence, number one quarterback on my board. Picture perfect from the quarterback lab type. You couldn't print it out any better than him. That long run he had in the 2019 National Championship game shows you the athletic ability and straight line speed, and it pairs with the arm strength that can test every blade of grass on the field. He is unquestionably the number one prospect at quarterback in this year's draft, and frankly, I find the suggestion of anything counter to that to be kind of absurd. Justin Fields is my number two quarterback. I don't want him with the Jets. I don't want him with the Niners for the sake of the draft picks over the next couple of years. And I don't want the Patriots coming up for him. We'll see what happens. But to me, he and Lawrence are a cut above the rest. The 4-4 speed, the toughness in the pocket, playing through injuries last season, the downfield accuracy, his ability to get through progressions quickly. Yes, that is his game, despite some of the suggestions you've seen out there of the opposite. I think Justin Fields is going to make some fan base very happy much like me being happy here with Tua in Miami. Trey Lance, the ball of clay, the traits, the Josh Allen comparison, and they're not, you know, comparative side by side, but it's the thought, the big, strong, fast, athletic, big arm quarterback. You give that guy time to develop with the right staff and the right plan in place. I think he too could be special. And my fourth is Zach Wilson. Now his highlight tape is the best in college football. I'll be curious to see where he goes, what the fit with that offense is and how he refines his game for the NFL. But he's got a ridiculously live arm that can snap throws off at all levels and throw the ball down the field. He's going to be a fun player to watch at the next level. The other quarterback in this class I like is Kellen Mond, a nice dual threat player. Thought he showed massive improvements in his ability as a passer this season and especially in that senior bowl where he was confident and ripping passes into tight windows in that game. So there you have it. I thought rather than talking about this quarterback class super in-depth, covering our guy was a better practice. Do you agree with that? Let me know on Twitter. Let's go ahead and finish up here with a look at Daniel Jeremiah's most recent mock draft, Mock 3.0 for Jeremiah. He has Miami with Jamar Chase at number six. He's been on that train since the beginning, even at number three. We saw Jamar's workout, sub 4, 440, 41-inch vertical, the production, the alpha mentality, a damn fine prospect. Jeremiah comes back at 18 with Gregory Rousseau, and these Miami edges fascinate me, man. I really, really, really like Jalen Phillips, but I think he's long gone by that point. Rousseau is probably the best ball of clay in this class with his size, the wingspan, the strength. He just doesn't have a whole lot of tape to go back on, but I think that would be a super fascinating piece for Flores to get his hands on. So Jamar Chase and Gregory Rousseau at pick six and pick 18. Let's go ahead and call it a podcast right there. We're going to continue with the positional previews for the next couple of weeks here on Drive Time. I'm not sure which one I'm going to roll out next. We've got some big hitters in the draft industry lined up. Jordan Reed, John Ledyard, Trevor Sikama, Matt Harmon. Tons of good stuff coming your way. But until next time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.